but it was great to be back in the land of the living. <laughs> Last week, I caught whatever the bug is that's been going around, and it was just not a fun time. I spent two days pretty much slayed up on the couch with a big old blanket, and I'm not the type that gets cold. I'm usually like in shorts when it's like 65 degrees in the house, and I love it. It's awesome, but I was shivering beyond all belief, so I did not enjoy that. Glad I'm over it and, uh, and back here with you guys. I'm appreciative that we have plenty of people here who can also preach, and the dad had a lot of good um, testimonies that he was able to bring from his trip um, over the two weeks that he was gone. So, uh, so if you're unfamiliar with what we've been doing over the past couple of weeks, um, we started in the book of Titus, went through that book. These are the pastoral letters. It's what it's known as, the pastoral epistles. And so, um, so we went from Titus, and now we're in the book of 1 Timothy. These two guys were spiritual sons of Paul's. Uh, and uh, they both were, were placed into specific positions and circumstances in the areas that they were sent to from Paul. Uh, Titus was located in Crete, and he was to help the church that was there um, unify the body and do many different things. Uh, and then Timothy was tasked with being at a church that was pretty well established in Ephesus. Uh, if you know the book of Ephesians, that was written to that same group of individuals. But instead of it being written to the church, this letter was written specifically to Timothy on how to pastor and how to deal with the certain circumstances that were happening in that area. And so uh, this one was specifically written to combat the heretical teachings that were happening in the body at that time. So there's, um, there's, there's something that happens after you have a church that's been around for a while. Sometimes it's easy for people to fall into, um, into kind of making up things that would benefit themselves. Some people become opportunists when time presents itself. Uh, to be able to step into a position of leadership and then uh, kind of dictate their own version of what they think the gospel is because it appeases them more than it does builds the body. And so um, a lot of things were occurring where it was actually dividing the body of Christ instead of uniting them. And so Paul specifically wanted people to come together as the body and to have right and sound doctrine. And that's stuff that we really need to make sure that we are aware of today when we are inundated with a lot of different information from a lot of different individuals, it is so easy to pull up a sermon from across the world today when you can just look, up, look it up on YouTube or someone has a website or someone has a TikTok or uh, a Twitter, cha or Twitter um, uh, handle or anything like that. It's where there are lots of different avenues that people can share information, and it doesn't mean that because it's on the Internet that it is true. Can I get an amen about that? Just because it's on the Internet does not mean that it is true. And so it's important for us to be able to know what is right and sound doctrine there are a lot of people who are putting out things like um, short little, they're called reels. If you, if you don't know anything about like Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, um, they're short little videos that they'll either give a little bit of information and stuff. And people are very keen on becoming influencers in this um, and, and these mediums. And what they'll do is they'll share certain information. And the problem with this is that you only get about a minute and 30 seconds on some of these uh, reels that you have. Some of them get a little bit longer. Some of them are a little bit shorter. But they, they give these really sweeping, overarching comments about a really important topic. And they feel like they did a very thorough job. And you, to be very, very thorough on a very particular and, and tentious, tentious topic is, is nearly impossible to do with a minute and 30 seconds. And so <coughs> it is important for us to know that whenever we do come across certain things, that we are, we are students of the word, that we can rightly divide scripture in the way that it's supposed to be, in the way that it was written, so that we can know the full context of what people are actually talking about. 
so that whenever we are presented with information that is incorrect, we can actually be true in the way that we approach this. Because it's very easy for someone to say something that sounds good, but is completely false. And then for people to take that and run with it. Because they feel, oh, this sounded really great, made me feel good, and that was awesome, so let's do that. And so, so Timothy is dealing with, with certain things that are similar to this. Of course, they didn't have internet or TikTok or anything like that in those days. But they had their own versions of communicating in popular ways that would pull people's attention and would cause them to believe certain things. And so a lot of this was happening. And we saw this as you go through each of the books. In chapter 1, we went through the specific activities that they were, deal- that they were uh, participating in. Paul was very specific about some specific sins. And we can see how that mirrors with the Ten Commandments, that, that if you look at the first four Ten Commandments, those are dealing specifically with sins against God. The, ne- the rest of them are sins against man. And so in the first half of the things that Paul addresses in chapter 1 are sins against God first, and then the second half of those, sins against man. So he, he mirrors the Ten Commandments. So he's not just saying things because it's his opinion that they don't need to be doing certain stuff. This is something that's based on Scripture. Paul was a very learned individual. He knew the law, and so everything that he preached was from that position of of Scripture. And so he presented the information saying, these are things that you are doing, and they're incorrect and wrong, and this is why. You can look back to the law, and you can know that this is what was being said. And chapter 2 is instructions on how they're supposed to participate in worship. Telling Timothy that that instead of of looking at a um, a specific layout of what they're supposed to be doing, he said, this should be a position of prayer. It's where when you guys come to the house of the Lord, you guys should be prayer people. That you should actually pray for those who are in power in the government. That you shouldn't speak down and lowly against them. That you should actually, you should actually believe for their lives to be, um, to be so influenced by the Christians around them that they become saved because of the Holy Spirit's conviction in their heart. So we should be pursuing righteousness in the midst of our of our lifestyle, and we should also pursue peace when it comes down to the way that we're supposed to approach individuals. Jesus says that in, uh, in the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, right? When Paul writes about the armor of God, the shoes are the shoes of peace. When it, wherever we walk, we should actually bring peace with us. We should, not, we should not march on a territory ready for battle just because we think that we disagree with somebody. There are ways that we can approach individuals without having to be the wrecking ball. And so it's important for us. It's important for us to be able to realize that what we're doing is a reflection of our relationship with Christ. So chapter 2, instructions on worship and prayer. He even goes on a little further on and talks about uh, the, the important position of men and women. And many people use this, this, this book as a way to suppress uh, women's ability to, to be able to minister within the body of Christ. And I think that's an incorrect view of, this, of these passages. That you can look all throughout scripture and you can see many great representations of women who are very influential and who did great things for the body of Christ. But the things that Paul was speaking about specifically in that passage dealt with the inappropriate teaching of the women who were actually standing at a pulpit. That they were actually influenced by the two individuals that Paul called out in the end of chapter 1. And because of that, Paul challenged Timothy to have them come under the right 
uh, right type of teaching and doctrine that they were actually supposed to learn from Timothy so that they can rightfully divide scripture. That they were distracting others, making it more about appearance than it was actually about the, the gathering of individuals and, and the unification of the body together. And so that was pushing people away from the gospel and, and intently looking at positionary um, uh, power instead of the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And then so we continued on, and, and, and Paul, what he does at the end of chapter 3 is he ends with a song. A song that recaps every single thing that we went through. If you remember, I spent, ju- I spent the whole two Sundays ago just on three verses as he recapped the entirety of the passages that we had previously looked at. And then Paul gives glory to God in the midst of that, knowing that it is through Christ that we have received salvation and that Christ wants everyone to come to know him. And so it's, it's important that we look at people the same way that Christ looked at others as well. And so now in chapter 4, we're going to get into some really specific things that Paul starts to charge Timothy with. And here's where we start here. If you go to a verse 1 for me, please, Kevin. He says this, The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and in prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus. Nourished in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with the godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Holding promise for both present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Let's, let's go back up to, ch- to verse 1, if you would, Kevin. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna kind of pause in these first two verses. So let's read, let's read these first two verses again and, and get into this. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. This is a place where we haven't seen yet where Paul specifically says the Spirit of God says this. This is the first time we actually see this in this whole entire letter. Very interesting that in this conversation, in this, in this layout that Paul gives, this is the first time that he says the Spirit clearly says. Now there, there's a little bit, when you look at a couple commentaries, there's a little bit of conversation and back and forth on if he was being prophetic here about the end times. Or if he was speaking specifically in these times, as in it's later than when Christ was here, that when Christ ascended, now it starts from that point and continues on. Um, And there's others that believe that it it was for just that specific time that they were in, um, where this would happen. And I'm kind of in the belief system that it could, it was stemming from that point that Christ, Christ came and ascended, that it continues on all the way through this time. These are the later times that we're in. We are in the later times where Christ came, he died on the cross, he he was the, the propitiation for our sin. He was the, the one who came in our stead, in our place. 
and then he, he overcame death, hell, and the grave, and rose, and then ascended into heaven, sent his Holy Spirit now, and we are now in waiting for him to return. And so we are now in the later times. So in these later times, we see that some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. This is where he is actually getting very specific with some spiritual warfare here. We don't quite see this in the first three chapters, but now we start to see that he hits on some things here. I think this is really important, and this is, this is really uh, interesting to think about when you're in conversation with people. I think that especially in the charismatic world that we, we tend to live in, that, that it's very easy for us to jump right into demons. Whenever we're in conversation with people who are maybe not living a lifestyle that we're in a total agreement with, and to jump right into that and to just punch them in the face with that information. Where if you have that worldview, it's very easy to jump in that conversation, which is why in, in our community, it's a little easier for us to be able to talk about some of these things because we're, we believe that there are angels, that there are demons, that there's, um, there's an unseen realm that we are not able to completely see, but the Holy Spirit gives us discernment to be able to see people set free, healed, and delivered. And that's a beautiful thing, and I love that. But there are quite a few people in this world that do not have a supernatural worldview. And so the way that Paul is approaching some of this stuff is really interesting. He goes through behaviors, and he, he, he starts, it's like he takes the knife. You don't all of a sudden just get to the middle of the stuff that you need to in surgery. You have to actually cut through stuff, right? Then you get to the middle. Then you get to the problem some areas. And so Paul is like a, like a fine-tuned surgeon where he's getting into the place where he needs to so he can hit some of the roots of what's actually happening here. Much of which he can go through and he could talk about the, f the philosophical things that they were dealing with as far as in the very beginning when he was talking about their behaviors. Okay, hey, I noticed these behaviors. I noticed these things that have been happening in your lives, these things that have been evident in your lifestyles, these things have been evident from the teaching from the pulpit. So let's address that first comparison to the word. He hits first and foremost comparison from their behaviors to the word, not his his not their behaviors to his experience. I think sometimes we we relay we rely very heavily on our experiences and lean on that a lot more than we actually do going to the word. I'm not saying that this is every single person, so please please hear my heart. But I've had a lot of conversations with people um, and, and my age and younger as well that, that don't know the Bible very well, and, and they lean heavily on their experiences. People who have been in church for a long time can tend to also do the same thing because they've been around certain atmospheres, they've been around certain things, and so they'll base lots of stuff and attach themselves to their experience, which is great that you have an experience with certain things, but that doesn't mean that you've had every experience that you needed to have. So that means that you don't have a total and complete viewpoint, maybe, from your experience of what stuff should be like. But if you go to Scripture, you get a holistic view. And so we need to be students of the Word so that in the places and the areas where we do not have experience in something, we actually can have the right truth that's actually delivered to, to some people. Also, some of us could have had experiences in church that you may have seen an end result that was beneficial to you, but the methodology was garbage. The Holy Spirit is gracious, and he can use people in whatever circumstances that they're in. And even if someone goes about something incorrectly, the Holy Spirit can still do a good work in people who are very fallible and see them set free and healed. Amen? 
Uh, many of you guys have been around church and things like that long enough to know that there are people who are, don't have the greatest tact in the way that they do certain things, but the Holy Spirit can still use them because they're a willing vessel. So that doesn't mean that we take every single experience that we've had with the way that people minister and make that the absolute gospel truth. We need to go to the word and we need to rely on the Holy Spirit to be able to, to, to guide us and direct us into the way that we should be acting and reacting to people. Do we know the word? Are we students of the word? If we are not, then we are students of an experience or students of a tradition. And that means you do not know Christ. You know about certain things that he can do. You know his abilities, but you do not know him. So I challenge you that, it, that in, this, in these moments, especially in today's society, especially in, in, in the climate that we're in, and especially in, in, our, ex, in our expectation for what God is going to do in this area, we need to be people who can be prepared by knowing the word. So that as we see the Holy Spirit move through this region, move through this area, that as we see people who come in these doors who need to be, uh, to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we can be people who are also rightly prepared. We cannot just be people who are, who are church attendees and, and are, are keen and, and great with just me going to get my master's degree and doing this and be like, oh, he's got it, he knows. Oh, Pastor Kevin's been in ministry for a long time. He can just take care of it. Oh, Pastor Ken's really knowledgeable, and he can, he can do all this stuff too, and that's, that's great. We'll just leave it to those guys. Uh, the body of Christ is supposed to be the ones who have access to the power of the Holy Spirit because he lives inside of us. He doesn't just live inside of people who are called pastor. He doesn't reside in just people who have very large congregations and have a huge paycheck. The Holy Spirit lives, if you are a believer, then that means the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so if you actually want to know what, what, what the benefits of actually knowing Christ is, you have to go to the Word so you can know what he's called us to and commissioned us to. <coughs> and so this is valuable for us to know. It clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. And this is, this is easily done by people if they are attracted to what seems to be power, or they're attracted to flash, or they're attracted to um, uh, just ability. That stuff is great whenever you're around in the, in the church service, you know, the power of God is moving, but what happens when you're at home and you're by yourself and you're dealing with depression? What happens when the, whenever you're at school and you're dealing with someone who's living an alternative lifestyle that you don't quite agree with and you don't think that you see that in scripture? How do you have a conversation with someone when you're just relying on someone's ability to perform? There's a lot of people who have a good voice and they could sing a song. They could start a track and they can end a track and that's it. But can we actually worship the Lord in the midst of what we do when we gather together? There's a difference between singing and worshiping. There's a difference between attending church and actually having a relationship with Jesus. There's a huge difference. There's a difference between dating someone and being married to someone. There's a difference. There's a difference between infatuation and intimacy. We have to be people who are in right relationship. If we're in this covenantal relationship where we actually receive the salvation that Christ offers us, then we also need to be people who are very aware 
very aware of his activity in our lives. These people, some people will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. There's, I have a lot of, uh, a lot of friends who are in different denominational um, institutions, and so we, get, like, we like having conversations about our, each of our belief systems and kind of the way that we interpret scripture. And uh, then we end up getting in this, um, in the conversation of, okay, when you get saved, are you always saved? Or when you get saved, can you lose your salvation? Um, if you were saved, or if you said you were saved, and then all of a sudden you walked away from the faith, does that mean that you were actually saved before? Or does it mean, and that we, we start going in all these circles and start talking about this stuff? It's really fun. It's a good time because it makes you really think about, what do I actually believe about this? What does scripture say? And but at the end of the day, <coughs> I, I just tell them, I'm like, hey, I believe that the Holy Spirit will make evident in someone's life if they truly follow him or if they don't. And then at the end of the day, whenever we all go to the, to the go see God, and we're standing face to face with him, he will either tell us, depart from me, I never knew you, or well done, my good and faithful servant. I, I, I cannot tell you otherwise that this person for sure won gajillion, million, bajillion percent has or not if they have the appearance of walking away from the faith. But this is what I do believe. I do believe that if people are attracted to just being around other individuals, that it could be very easy for them to want to jump from one group of people who they feel like they are accepted by to another group of people who they feel like they're accepted by. And we see this happen quite a bit in different areas of the region, in different areas of the world, in, in, even in different friend groups. If you were ever in school, you would have noticed that there are these things called cliques. <laughs> and you have these one friend groups, and then another friend groups, and then other friend groups of people who feel like they fit in with like-minded or maybe similar um, hobbies, or maybe they do the same kind of extracurricular activities, and they'll bounce from one to another at times, depending on their feeling of acceptance. We see this. And so there will be those who are deceived by other groups of individuals because they feel like they're accepted in that area and that avenue. <coughs> Which then leads down to where is the identity that you have? Where is that found? Is that found in Christ or is that found in people? If it's found in people, then you will live and die by the people group that you will find the greatest acceptance in. Who will give you the greatest liberty to live your life the way that you feel like you need to. And so at times, it could be a Christian group. At times, it could be a more charismatic group. At other times, it could be a more traditionalistic group. At other times, it could be one that is a lot more progressive and accepting of certain lifestyles and ideologies. And then you move even further from that, and then you can bounce around to a whole other group of people. This is why we see a lot of young people who are attaching themselves to certain movements because they feel like they have been accepted by a specific group or a specific um, agenda. And they're being celebrated and praised for pushing themselves further down the rabbit hole into that area. Not because they truly believe that about themselves, but because they desire to be a part of certain groups. Does that make sense? So it's easy for people to leave, quote unquote, leave the faith because they will feel more acceptance from certain people groups or certain things rather than having the acceptance that they know that they should be having in Christ. And really, if all of our identities are found and firm in Christ, then that means that we will also love each other in a way that other people and other groups just are not offering. And that kind of love is not, is not a, a, a very passive type of love. That type of acceptance is not a passive acceptance. It's active and it's confrontational. I'm going to say it again. It is active and it is confrontational. 
It'll let you know when you're doing something you're not supposed to because they love you. Not because they're putting you down, not because they feel like they're better than you, but they will confront you when they see sin in your life. And that is a blessing to have. They will confront you when they see that you're not pushing to the place that they know that you can get to. They see the potential inside of you and you haven't quite got to that place. When you disappear, they're worried about you and they want to know where you're at, what you're doing, how, you're, how's, how life is going. That's the type of love that you're not going to get in any other place because many other places are, are accepting you because you also offer them something. And then whenever that is used and abused and taken and dried up, then you can be become discarded for another person to come in and take that place. It's because they do not have the, the, the fullness that the Holy Spirit offers with right relationship with God. It becomes easy for us to jump into those things, and because we are fleshly, we also are driven by things and the desires of the flesh. James chapter 1 says that we are tempted and enticed by lustful desires. Do not ever say that God tempts you. It is our lustful desires that, are te- that we're tempted by, and that means that we are also drug away by those things. We are tempted, enticed, drug away by, by those desires. And then when we actually give in to faith, uh, give in to sin, then those desires are like little seeds that get planted inside. And then that starts to grow when it gives birth. When that sin gives birth, it leads to death. And so the community of believers, that's, that's a group of individuals, a group of people whose identity is so firm in Christ that they want to please Jesus. So in pleasing Jesus, you are not just looking to have a relationship with God, but you know you have to have a relationship with people. There's a book by Diedrich, uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, um, a German theologian um, who was heavily impactful around the time that, that Nazi Germany was around. And he was a part of a group of individuals that tried to remove Hitler from his position. And uh, he was thrown into jail, and three days before the, the wall came down, they executed him. But he has amazing, amazing material. Um, it's a little, a little heavier in the, in the reading aspect, but it's great because you get to munch on it a little bit more and think about it. But he has, he has a couple quotes in there. One of them is, is beware of the person who, um, who cannot be alone. That person should beware community. So the person who cannot be alone, beware of community. The person who cannot be in community, beware of being alone. Okay. Person who cannot be alone, beware of community. The reason why that is, is because if you cannot be alone by yourself, that means that you're going to be relying on people a thousand percent, and they become God. The person who cannot be alone, beware of community. If you are alone and you cannot deal with the things that are going on in your mind and in your heart, then you rely so heavily upon the community to do things for you that you then make the community God. And you do not rely on God. Because truly, if you rely on God, then that means that when you're alone, you will honor him with your life and with everything that you're doing. So that even in the positions where you feel like you're tempted and enticed, you rely on Jesus in those moments. That doesn't mean that you don't call the community and that you uh, seek for help and you seek for guidance, you seek for wisdom and all those things. That's a thousand percent in there. But there's a point in times where we rely so heavily on people that we negate our relationship with the Holy Spirit and people become the Holy Spirit. The people who cannot be in community, beware of being alone. That's where you get so in, in, inclusive, and that's where you get to the position where you have to be by yourself so much that you cannot be around people, and then you become so wrapped up in your own things that it leads you many times into isolation, depression, anxiety, and then decay. 
because you cannot be around other people which would actually bring you life and they would confront you. You'd be afraid of people confronting you about the things that you're dealing with. You're afraid of disappointing other people, so then you're never going to go around them, so you're in isolation by yourself. Then when you're in isolation by yourself, you're the only person that you can reason with, and you may be nuts. (laughs) In that place, if your only communication is with yourself, then that means that you're in an endless loop of just trying to figure out what you need to do for yourself, and that's not healthy. The person who cannot be alone, beware of community. The person who cannot be in community, beware of being alone. We need the body because we honor Jesus. We need Jesus so that we can honor the body. People will be led by these deceiving spirits and things taught by demons because they will entice you and they will, they will put things in front of you to make you feel like this is going to be the better option for you than trying to live a life of holiness, of purity, of righteousness, of steadfastness. You'll be easily led astray by people who have very flashy things and it's and it seems like a glamorous lifestyle. It seems like, like it's going to be amazing, but it's going to ultimately lead to death. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose conspiracies, or sorry, whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. You guys ever seen a, a wound get cauterized? This is where you burn that area that's, 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 that's bleeding out or that's, that's happening, and it's, it, it actually causes like a numbness just about of, uh, of like your nerves. And it causes some of the pain to cease, but it also causes a lot of the things to clog up and to stop. Like, like especially if you're bleeding. If you're bleeding out and they cauterize that, phew, stops that, that vein or whatever from gushing out anymore. And so he uses it. He, he consciousness have been, they've been seared as with a hot iron. These people who have been hypocrites and who have walked through this this hypocritical lifestyle, they're, they're inundated with these lives. They're numb, they've numbed themselves from the truth, so they're cutting off the support that they need, that lifeblood that's actually moving. They're cutting, cutting that off and searing those nerves from their consciences, from the Holy Spirit's activity of letting them know that this is wrong. They're consistently suppressing that and suppressing that and suppressing that to the point to where it's almost like they can't even feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit anymore because they've decided to continue to choose this over and over and over again. Doesn't mean that they are not able to come to the knowledge and the truth of the, of, of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but it does mean that it's a hard road to go from that place and that it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that that can be severed. You see, Pharaoh had this. He had a hardened heart. He chose to have, to keep the Israelites in slavery, <coughs> right? His heart was hardened towards those who were enslaved and who were persecuted. So it's not like that all of a sudden he was this amazing, awesome dude, and then the Lord hardened his heart. Pretty sure there was quite a bit of hardening that was going on way before, <laughs> way before the, the ten plagues came. These teachings come through hypocritical liars, whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. We'll pick up to verse 3. I thought I was going to get through a lot more than this this morning, but that's okay. We're going through this as a series, so I know exactly where we're at. <laughs> we'll begin verse 3 next week, but I want to end with this, um, this story I had. Um, I was reading, reading on, uh, on Instagram the other day. There's a guy who he, he, I really like seeing some of the thoughts that he has, and he posted this, and it was 
just perfect for some of the guys. I share this with a couple of my classes that I teach online, and, um, and I wanted to share this with you guys this morning as well. <coughs> I want you guys to think through this. this is we're going to do a little, a little bit of um, we're going to do a little bit of visual imagery stuff here. So he says this. He said, "I had a professor who started every semester with an experiment that I thought was brilliant. If you're willing, I'd love for you to give it a try." He'd start by saying this, class, without getting out of your seat, take 15 seconds and notice everything in the room that is red. I want you guys to do that right now. Just take take a few moments, look around and notice everything in the room that you can see that's red. Every single thing. Be as, as attentive as you can. Take every mental note you can, everything you see that's red. Every single thing. You should have a little mental list of a couple things. He would then have us close our eyes. Okay, so everybody close your eyes. You ready? And then he would say this. Okay, now I want you to write down everything in the room that is blue. <laughs> At this point, the whole class, year after year, would let out a frustrated groan. Every time, every time. If you're playing along right now, you might be doing the same thing, but his point was one that I've never forgotten. He'd say something like, some of you are so convinced that God can only work in red that you're missing all the ways he's moving in blue. He was right. Sometimes I can believe God only works in certain places in certain ways, and I miss so many of the ways, big and small, that God is moving every day. The truth is that the choice is not between being in God's presence or being somewhere else. We are always in God's presence. The choice is to be aware of his presence or not. I hope this isn't irrelevant, but sometimes I wonder if God is a little bit like where's Waldo. He's on every page, but sometimes we need to look a little more intently to see him. In Genesis 28, Jacob awakes from a dream that says something like he is, that has always resonated with this guy. <coughs> he says, surely... The Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to live my life like that. I don't want to live unaware of the presence of God as it's right under my nose. I don't want to rush past or hurry through whatever season I'm in. <coughs> Excuse me. If God is moving, <coughs> and I know he is, I don't want to miss it. Have you ever bought, <coughs> excuse me, have you ever bought something, then started seeing that same thing everywhere you went? Usually have like a vehicle or something like that. You just see it. How, how, how did there get so many of these white vehicles all over the place? I don't, I don't understand it. This is known as the frequency illusion, or more informally, the, the Beider-Meinhof phenomenon. When you're looking for something, you'll find it. If you're looking for outrage, you'll find it. But I found that the same thing is true of beauty, goodness, and gratitude. It is easy to see the negative, the ugly, and there are plenty of reasons to do so. However, when we intentionally seek out things to be grateful for and actively look for God in the ordinary and mundane, I believe we will find him there too. So ask yourself, what am I looking for today? 
Sometimes I go to God for answers, and what I get is his presence. Sometimes I go to God for answers, and I just get his presence. How many of us are looking for God to only move in red when he could be doing something in blue? We cannot be deceived by things just because they appear to be something that they're not. We need to be people who can rightfully read the word. We go through and we see what, what is it that the, the word is actually saying here. How can this apply to my life? One of the greatest things that I've been able to do in my personal study time is that I have a, I have a, uh, a journal. And I open it up and I'll find a couple verses. I'll write those verses down and then I'll, I'll intently stare at them. I'll circle and I'll underline phrases or words that stick out to me. And then underneath that, I'll write down how that impacted me as I thought about it and then how it applies to my life today. We need to actively have conversations with God. We need to actively read the word. We need to actively pursue the presence of the Holy Spirit. We cannot just rely on prayer. We cannot just rely on reading the word. We cannot just rely on going to church. We cannot just rely on watching the, the latest sermon from your favorite preacher. We need to be people who have right relationship with Jesus. We need to be people who can be alone and be able to intently seek after the face of God. Knowing that if there are certain things that lead us, to attempt, uh, lead us into temptation, then we remove ourselves from that being impactful in our lives. Move ourselves from situations that would put ourselves in a compromising position, knowing that I'm not strong enough to stand there on my own right now, and so I'm not going to put myself in that position to have to fall over and over and over again, knowing that if I do this, it's going to lead me there. We also cannot be people who rely so much on others that they become God in our lives. People will let you down. People will, will do the wrong thing. People will, even with the best intentions, they could even um, make, a, make the wrong decision. We are all fallible. None of us are perfect. But the Holy Spirit inside of us will always lead us into the right direction. But the only way that we know his voice is if we actually read his word and know what he says. If we're not doing that, then we're going to miss the mark. That leads us into sin, into missing the mark. So all the sin is, is missing the mark. We have to know what the mark is in order for us to hit it. Can't just do that off feelings. Feelings are fleeting. Feelings are fickle. So I'm going to give you another F word that I can use for that. <laughs> feelings are folly. Feelings are funny. All those things. So the feelings will not lead you into the place to where you will always make the right decision. We have to have something to base our feelings off of, and that has to be the word. Otherwise, it will be our emotions or not our own desires. And if our feelings are based on our desires, we will be led astray consistently because it will be rooted in pride. But let us be people who can rightfully read scripture, know what he's saying, and then react based off of what the Holy Spirit's leading us into. Let's stand this morning. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that, that we have great representations of what, what you were speaking to people back then and how we're still dealing with some of the same issues in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that, that Paul was 
was intentional enough to write Timothy this, this letter so that we can read it today and know how we can deal with things inside of our lives. We can deal with things as we, as we see them and as we approach them. That Lord, help us to be people who can recall Scripture, who can recall the things that you've called us into. Help us be connected with one another in community. Help those of us who struggle to be alone and make right decisions. Help us with the process of connecting with people who can give us the right correction that's Holy Spirit driven. Help us be people who can who who struggle with being in the midst of community. Help us draw be drawn to people who will, who will lovingly correct us and lovingly show us what true relationship as the body of Christ is like. Lord, we want to honor you in everything that we do. So give us wisdom and guidance as we go throughout our days. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. If you would like prayer or anything like that, we are up here and we're, we're happy to do so. Um, if not, then you feel free to have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday. Go hang out with someone. Go have lunch with someone. We'll see you guys next week.